Welcome to Economics Happy Hour. My name's Matt. And I'm Jadrian. Uh, thank you for tuning in again. Jadrian, what's new in your world? Uh, just did a, uh, an alumni event in D.C., uh, so got to go as part of Virginia. So this is a Virginia Tech alumni event, not a not a personal alumni event. So I got to drive up to from Blacksburg up to D.C. Uh, and just meet a bunch of Virginia Tech alumni, uh, undergrads, masters, Ph.D. students, uh, just sort of hear about their experience in Blacksburg. And so it was really cool um, just getting to see people I've never met before. And it was just a really good time. If you are not careful, you are going to be a department chair or, or a dean someday. So just have to just have to put the warning in. But, uh, you know, I. After the past year, I don't hate the administrative side of stuff. Um, there's things I don't like, but some of this stuff's kind of fun, like getting to meet with alumni and getting to do graduation, like the sort of the, I would say the personal interaction side yeah, yeah. Um, of the administration side is really fun. I'm not sure that I'm, I would love the like department heads meeting that they have every week and stuff like that. That's, that's probably fair. I know. And I, part of, part of what I love about my job is I love meeting alumni and other friends of the business school and i've gotten comfortable where we could talk money and once you start to realize i'm not asking for my own money they love the school <laughs> yeah and we all have the same goal of how can we give great opportunities to students and once you have that mindset it becomes pretty easy and it's part of the job that i love and yeah i wasn't even i wasn't even we weren't even trying to ask for money nope, nope. Uh, we we ch we uh charged them 10 bucks uh yeah. for all you can drink open bar um food and like, as we were there, like one of the people there was like, Hey, do, do you need us to give more money? And I was like, I mean, you can, like, we're not asking yeah. for it. We don't have, we don't have QR codes, yeah. right? But they're just ready to give money. And I was like, yeah, this is nice. I like this. Yeah. And then the other, I mean, you know, for a lot of people, money isn't, you know, giving money isn't in the cards right now, or at least not much. Yeah. Really most people when they first start or, you know, they have kids or paying for college, it's tough to expect, it's tough to expect too much. However, there's a lot of ways to give back, right? You can come yeah. back and guest lecture or meet with, try to mentor students. There's jobs and internship opportunities. There's there's all sorts of uh, ways that people can help, which- uh, That's really our goal with it is just to try to get these connections of people coming back, internship, job opportunities, yeah. things like that. So it was very fruitful. This is their second year doing it. Um, I But I really, really enjoyed it. Very cool. Very cool. Um, what, do you, what are you drinking today? What's, uh, what's on tap at the Rose Two Household? Founders All Day IPA. Uh, brewed in Michigan. Okay. So how about yourself? All right. Sticking with the Virginia stuff, but I will say it is not seasonally appropriate. So we're going to go uh, dark and heavy today. We have from my favorite brewery, the Star Hill Brewery again. Yeah. Um, it's called Dark, Store, Dark Star, a dry Irish stout, if I can get it to focus uh, on. It's, it shows up on my screen. Dry. I, was like, I never get it to focus right. So we're going, dry, yeah, dry Irish stout. Very nice. Which I assume is like a Guinness. That, that sounds that sounds a bit like one, a Guinness-ish. Guinness-ish. Um, no, that's that's great. So while you're pouring that, so Saturday's commencement, as Dean, they just made a change in Susquehanna. So it used to be the provost read all of the names commencement which is a little about 500 mm -hmm. and they have changed it where the deans now read the names of the students of their in college. their college so i am reading about 150 names which part of me thinks is really terrifying because yeah you know you don't want to screw up but uh, enough people who have done this said yeah you're going to screw up just be loud and confident and they're going to get a diploma in a few minutes they're going to get over it don't stop 
Don't say, oops, yeah. I missed that up and go back and correct it. You just keep going. Just every uh, five seconds, just say a name. Yep. Don't. But but what what is really cool and what I'm excited about is I, I know a fair number of these students. Mm-hmm. We're small enough that I we just had a picnic at our house and some of the students who went abroad came over and I thought it was 25 of them. That's yeah. that's one sixth of the graduating class was mm-hmm. over in my backyard. And then, so I, I know a third probably reasonably well, mm-hmm. and then I know a lot of others a little bit. And so that'll be a lot of fun to be able to read. So I can, I don't know. I don't think I told you this last time that I'm getting very excited about something we're going to do in the fall semester that they've never done here. And I don't think I've been at a university that does this, uh, but starting in the fall semester, we are going to offer a uh, majors only principles sequence. Really? Uh, so all incoming. So Virginia Tech's a little weird when students apply here, they have to apply to a major. Uh, so they don't apply to a college. They apply. Okay. They don't apply to the university or to the college. They apply to the major that they want to be in. Um, so we have 75 incoming first-year students uh, who will be principal students uh, or econ majors. And in the past, we've always just said, go take principals, sure. uh, which means they end up in like a 500-person classroom with engineers and business majors and liberal arts majors and everybody else. So, but starting in the fall, uh, we're going to do a majors only course. If you come in, if you're an econ major, you have to take the majors only course. You're not allowed to take the other one. And I will be teaching the majors only course for principles micro. Very cool. So I'm super pumped with the idea that like in four years, I will know all of them walking across the stage because they'll be mine. That is really cool. That is really cool. And as we begin, cheers first. Um, Our discussion today, we want to start with something very relevant to what we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, you did talk about paying for college. I thought that was going to be our bridge, our bridge into this. Speaking of paying for college, let's talk about paying for college. Uh, There's a bit of a debate about why college is valuable. I think Mm -hmm. most people who study the issue would say college is valuable for most majors. There's a pretty good return on investment. You know, you we could argue on the margins a little bit, but overall, college graduates earn a lot more than mm-hmm. high school graduates. I think most people agree with that. For the major, ma- the majority of people who graduate from college, the vast majority, good investment. Much more of a debate, though, <laughs> on why it's a good. Why it's the why, right? Like so. So there's a couple different. There's there's. This is simplifying it a little bit too much, but I'd say there's two different ways college has a significant value. One is the signal it provides, and one is the human capital or the education it provides. And I think this is oversimplifying a bit, but before we start, we should probably define what we mean by the value of the signal or the value of the human capital. And I'll let you choose which one you'd like to define. Let let me talk about what we mean by human capital. Um Mostly because I think this is, we're talking about a very narrow, like, idea of human capital. Um, like, in the labor econ literature, like, when we talk about human capital, it basically means, like, some sort of thing you're doing uh, to increase the quality of your productivity. Uh, so the most common, like, examples are things like getting an education that makes you a better worker, um, not necessarily, like, quantity-wise, but quality-wise, your work should be better. Uh, but there's also things related to migration is often an example of a human capital investment. So the idea is you can move somewhere else and the quality of your work is better somewhere else. Sure. Um, investing in health is often considered a human capital investment. And so they all kind of seem a little bit similar, but education, I think, is super, super interesting, um, mostly because of the cost associated with it. 
Um, you know, investing in your health is very different than like paying if something goes wrong. Right? Paying for a gym membership is like investing in your health, but that's really cheap. Um, paying to move across the country can, and, you know, at first blush look really expensive, but man, look at a four-year tuition and that's very expensive. Uh, so I, I really like the idea of education. Part of that is also because Matt and I are, we're professors. I say, obviously, yep. uh, we're professors. Uh, so we we value education. We went for a decade to go to school. We're still in school. Um, so the idea of sort of the human capital investment side of education is you're paying money to get payoffs later in life. And the idea is that when you spend your three, four, five years in college, you are a better worker because you have learned skills and you have learned those things and they make you better, smarter, more talented. And then you go get a job and you're going to slowly pay that off over time. That is often the human capital investment idea behind education. I think that's a, a fair summary. I don't know if you want to add anything a, to I that. A, I think that's a great summary. And okay. the the idea of gaining the skills, that, I mean, some colleges, I mean, you could think of some higher ed being like technical schools where you're mm -hmm. learn, you're actually learning a trade. Yeah. But then some, uh, you know, like nursing, thinking of nursing is like a really good example, always in my mind of like yeah. a skill that you're learning that is, that we would not normally say is like a trade. It's not like carpentry or, um, welding or anything like that. Correct. But then a number of other majors, maybe it's not crap, you know, specifically trying to get you into a specific field. So mm -hmm. you're learning the skills in, you know, sometimes it's economics, sometimes yeah. it could be a history, sometimes <laughs> it could be a philosophy, political you science, are learning how to think and solve problems. Mm -hmm. And the ability to solve complex problems, the world does not have enough people who are good at that. So that's, mm -hmm. you know, you could build human capital in that way, where you're a yeah. better worker, because you have learned how to tackle problems in a number of different ways better than you were before. So that's the human capital side, the signaling part of this. So fascinating. I yeah. it, it takes a second to sort of explain, but I, but I think it's one of those things I think people people recognize that I think when you when Matt explains what the signaling side is, yeah. when you hear it at first, it's going to take a second to sort of process. And then you could start to think about examples where that may be true. So Matt's signaling side of so well um, and I'll take I'll take the extreme example. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some who would argue that college does not provide much in human capital development or any of it, but it's still valuable because it gives you a signal. And the idea of a signal is that it is something costly to obtain, but those who are more talented can obtain it for a cheaper price. And you say a cheaper price, it's both in terms of actual money, but for college, it's often in terms of the, the time it might take you to obtain it. So somebody who is incredibly smart to graduate from college. And let's go through the extreme example and say college literally gives you no skills, which we both would disagree with. <laughs> but it, let's assume that extreme example. Somebody who's super brilliant is going to be able to graduate mm -hmm. and maybe even graduate early. Maybe they're in a really difficult major. Maybe they've got all sorts of extracurriculars with it. Maybe they get into the top schools that it's tough to get into, but because they were so smart earlier on, they got higher test scores. So they get into a, you know, a Wharton or a Harvard or something like that. And then when they graduate, they have come out and they have, they have this essentially a certification that mm -hmm. yes, this person's really smart because they got in and they were able to make it through. Mm -hmm. But the signaling model would say they didn't really learn anything. 
those who are really bright could get into particular schools and get out of particular schools. And there are some people who may not be able to for one reason or another. And essentially you are sorted. Some people get out, some people don't. Uh, yeah. What um, that was, I was not going through a definition on that. What could you add to the signaling side that I saw? Uh, no, I think that's really good. Um, I, I think the, what's nice about the signaling model is that the, like the title of it, I mean, gives away what's happening. Uh, it's the idea that you have a diploma or certificate and it is sending a signal about you that may or may not necessarily be true. So the example that I always give my students with like, you know, you have a college degree and you were to stand up in front of a room of people and say, I have a college degree. What does that mean? They're going to make assumptions about that. Um, you know, if you have a degree in economics, they're going to make assumptions that, oh, he must be good. They must be good with numbers. Uh, you know, they can do some math. Uh, they're good critical thinkers. And to an extent, like if they're learning those things, hopefully they will. Um, yes. But, you know, it doesn't mean that they did. It could mean, you know, they maybe they got C's in every single one of their classes. Um, and they really only know about two thirds of the material. They don't really know that much. Uh, the stuff that they know is stuff they knew before they came in. They didn't actually learn anything new. Um, but I always try to tell them that there's other signals as well. Things like, you know, somebody who completes a college degree um, can persevere. They can go through difficult material. Uh, they know how to essentially follow rules from different people. So maybe they'll be able to handle a different set of bosses because they've proven that they can handle the rules of every different class. Uh, they understand structure and, and due dates, which is really important for businesses. They want you yep. to fit in and, and follow due dates. Yep. And so I always talk about that there's there are signals that are related to education that are not necessarily related to your major. And I think once you start to see like that side of it, you can start to think about Okay, are there like degree specific signals as well that are being sent? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think one that we went through uh, recently, like the students who are graduating this year mm -hmm. and next year, who, who got through in four years, the students who are graduating this year who got through in four years, they started in 2019 and three fourths of the way through their first year, they were sent home. Yeah. And then they had to deal with whatever their school was doing mm -hmm. or education during the COVID year. And then often, depending where they were, it could have been a really weird year uh, in 2021, 2022, before I'd say this year is normal. And if you started in fall of 2020, I mean, your whole first year yeah. was just completely disrupted. And that's the class that I think got the absolute worst deal, the graduates who start the high school graduates in 2020, because mm -hmm. they came in and you didn't build this affinity. I remember what my college was like. You, you arrive on campus, you meet a hundred people. You can't help it. It's just, it's what happens. And for many places, there were a few places where that happened, but I know at a lot of places that just didn't happen like it did uh, normally. So the students who graduated from there, you're right, they persevered. They made it yep. through. They handled things they weren't expecting to handle mm -hmm. ever in life and they got through it. And um, that's a big, that's a that's a big deal. I, I like what you say about major specific. I also mm -hmm. think there's other ways within just getting a degree, you could signal yeah. yourself among your fellow graduates. You know, one of the things, especially so now that you're out COVID, I'm going to talk about that part because I think it's um, it's a good chance to talk about signaling because, you know, I was teaching labor economics whenever the pandemic hit and sort of shut down classes. And one of the things, and I don't know if Susquehanna did this, but I think a lot of universities did this, gave students the option of changing their grades from letters to pass fail. Yes. Did y'all do that? Okay, yeah, so we had for those two different of, terms, we did that. Yeah. yeah. So for those of you who don't know, mo I, I'm going to say most because I feel I don't actually know that it's most, but I feel very confident that it's more than half of the universities did this. 
Um, because there's such a big disruption, students are starting on campus, finishing online, even going into the fall, you're online, like it's just different. A lot of universities said, look, try to finish the semester as normally as you can, give students exams, keep giving them homework. Uh, but what a lot of universities did was at the end, either right before the final or after they saw the grade, they said they told the students basically, look, you can take the letter grades you got, A, B, C, D, F, or you can do pass fail and we won't tell people what the grade is. So as long as you got a C or better, we'll just put that you passed on it. And it was really fascinating at the time teaching labor economics because you got to hear essentially this signaling idea, sort of a signaling uh, education trade-off type idea, um, like from the student's perspective, but also from the faculty perspective, because a lot of students looked at it and go, oh, well, if I don't get an A, if I get a B or lower, I'm going to take pass. And from the faculty side, we were like, wait, maybe you shouldn't do that. A B is fine. And I go, you want to think about the signal that pass says, um, I go, you know, if you get a passing grade, that means you didn't get a D or an F. So you, you're not that I go, but it means you maybe got a C. And like, I had students who had, they had really good grades. They had like a 3.9, 3.8. And they were talking about taking pass fail on like an A minus and a B plus. And I was like, because they didn't want to lower their GPA. And I was like, please, from a faculty standpoint, don't do that. Like a B plus is fine on your transcript. Like you can talk about that in your letters. And I was like, but the problem is like, it's going to send a signal that you just passed the course. They don't know. And they may assume yeah. something worse. Um, but it's really fascinating. I would have counseled opposite. Really? So I would have you counseled... would have said pass them all. Well, so I actually told no, them. They uh, no, what I would have said is I would have said if it's below your GPA, um, do pass fail. I do not think firms look that closely. Mm. And I don't think if somebody's, let's say that's the 3.9 student. Yeah. And do you really think that a pass is yeah. going to throw somebody off? I mean, honestly, I wouldn't want them to go to that employer. <laughs> and so I, I would have just counseled, but you're right. If it, in, in theory, you're talking about things that really shouldn't matter if you're going to. Yeah. It excellent. shouldn't matter. So he actually, so this goes back, right? It shouldn't yeah. matter if you yeah. have this signaling versus human capital story is that it sends a signal about something, but it does it, like they may, they, they could have learned tons of stuff, right? Like if they got all A's. So one of the things that some people were recommending, and this is where I think it was, it was a frustrating time for a lot of reasons. Um, there was faculty recommending that if you passed, as long as you passed them all, you should do pass for every class. They said, just hide all your grades from the semester. Then they don't know. I'm like, these students, have, like, they're just getting slammed with all these different, yeah, all these different recommendations. Not enough to think about on that. So, so within, um, so there's the debate and, and there's economists, mm -hmm. There, there's one particular economist, Brian Kaplan, who wrote the book, The Case Against Education, Why the Education System is a Waste of Time and Money. And we've both read the book. And I mean, it really goes into the idea of the signal and the sheepskin yes. effect and tries to make the case that that is the predominant factor. And uh, there are others who will say there's a significant amount of human capital accumulation mm -hmm. from going through college, what's, where do you fall on the value of college from the signal versus the human capital accumulation? So here's where I get really annoyed with it. Uh, so I get annoyed with this debate, actually. So we're, Matt and I are having this debate, but I'm going to say that I get a very annoyed with this debate. And I, I think my annoyance of, of it is, and I don't know if this is economists annoying me, if it's professors annoying, I don't know who's annoying me, but my annoyance is that we try to pin down this big, complicated story with like one answer. 
And so I think that's actually, that's what really kind of annoyed me with Kaplan's book a little bit was I think he hovered, I mean, it's been years since I read it. I want to say it's like, I think his argument is like 67% signal. He tries to get a breakdown of percentages. I want to say he was like 67%, three quarters signaling a third or a quarter human capital investment. And my frustration with that is I don't like the idea that we're just lumping all of education, higher education together and saying like this, the average college student is signaling. Um, I definitely think there are majors that are more signaling than others. But I also recognize that there are a lot of majors that are more human capital investment, skill-based um, learning. Even within a major, the courses you take. So I, I, you know, I don't know about the, the curriculum at Susquehanna, but at you know, Virginia Tech, you could get an econ degree that I would argue is largely signaling. If you pick the right classes, you could take very little programming, very little econometrics, data analysis, you take your minimum two uh, and you get a degree. I think it's largely going to be a signal that you can follow orders and stuff. But we also have a degree that's like a data analytics one where you're learning R and, pro- and big data, machine learning, um, Python. Like you're, you're doing all the skill-based stuff, um, which I think that would be more human capital story. Uh, there is actually, I should say, there's a third issue in here that we didn't really talk about. It's kind of related to the signaling um, part. Uh, it's uh, it's the idea. Have you heard of the ability problem? I forgot to mention this earlier. So it's, I, it's have, very, I don't remember it off by your the phrase. It's, ba- it's basically signaling. Um, the ability problem is the person could have learned those things on their own, uh, and that you're not actually learning anything in college. Like you could have learned oh, it yourself. Yeah, like, sure, sure. Um, and so then it's it's slightly different uh, than the signaling, but not that much. Yeah. Um, so I would say. I'm going to lean in. I I will say signaling is a big chunk. Um, I think for a lot of majors, there's a lot of signaling that happens. Um, I think students want it to be an investment. I think students go to college with the idea that they're going to learn skills and learn things and become better people and better whatever their major is. And then I think when they get here, they start to realize the signaling is real um, and they, they have behaviors that line them up with signaling, but they still think they're investing in skills. Um, so I'm going to say, I, I will say, I mean, signal, I think signaling is this. I won't put a number on it. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think that, I think both work. I, I agree with being annoyed by like fighting. It's one or the other, right? I mean, it's, clearly there, there, there's, there's some value to both. Right. And I think the most compelling way to say there's some value to the signal is Nobody in their right mind should stop when they're one class away from graduating. Yeah, right. That's because, you, that's almost always the example, right? Like if yeah. uh, if 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 a student did the entire semester but just didn't take the last final exam for one class, they've learned just as much as the other student. Um, one of them is going to get a job, and the other one is going to have a harder time yeah, getting yeah. a job. And, yeah, and I would I would want to hire the one with the degree. Yeah, yeah. So the so there's the um, so I, I think there's there's certainly value to the to the signal, but I. I think there's enough evidence. I mean, the science shows the human brain still is developing and growing until age 25. Yeah. And I think there is something to being at a college setting where you are getting, as you said, you're having to learn from different professors who approach mm-hmm. things different ways, who have different rules, yeah. who oppose problems in completely different formats that you're forced to think through and fight through and you're forced to write in one and you're forced to go to a science lab in another mm-hmm. even if you don't ever do science again on purpose the fact that it's just you know you've got to have your mind be able to figure that out at the time when it's growing 
yep. the most to me is incredibly powerful for your skill development. The way I've heard this phrased is that for a student to be like, I would say ultra successful, they should treat college very much like they would treat like a gym workout or a personal workout. You don't go to the gym and you don't just run on the treadmill. You should be doing some upper body strength. You should be doing some cardio. You should be doing some lower body. So like you should be mixing things up. Yeah. Um, and that's how you get kind of the full body health taken care of. Um, and education is the same. Like you shouldn't, I get very, I'm going to, I'm going to say offended because it really does bother me. I don't like when students complain about having to take gen eds. I think the gen ed system is one of the things that make colleges unique. I don't think students should be going to school for four years to take four years of finance courses. Um, I think it's valuable for a student to take a language, to learn, a you know, do some philosophy courses. I think that's what makes us better humans. Um, largely is like the liberal arts gen ed sort yeah. of approach. Well, I mean, I'm at, a, I'm at a liberal arts school, so you're like speaking. <laughs> I mean, I'm at a dean of a business school, but for those who don't know, right. so we're a liberal arts university with a accredited business school, right? This mm -hmm. is kind of one of our differentiators, but that's that's a model we think is actually incredibly powerful for our students. And it's honestly, right. it's one of the first things when I talk to a prospective student, I that's what we highlight. That's literally mm -hmm. the first thing, like the student who's happy here, this is our model. You're yep. going to get a world-class business degree but you are also going to get pushed and challenged with a, a really top liberal arts education. And you're at a place like Susquehanna. I mean, you're going to yeah. get the top people in, you know, in history and science, uh, teaching you foreign languages and mm -hmm. all. So, yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you on that. I think there's so much power and it's more interesting, right? A lot of the interesting problems, one of our at Susquehanna, um, uh, Dr. Teresa Finley, Mm -hmm. uh, who I've, uh, you've met uh, Dr. Finley before. She, she does economic history. It, it's fascinating. Yeah. Well, if it weren't for, I don't know the full story, but I'm guessing if she didn't take some history classes before, mm -hmm. that wouldn't be a topic that she's researching yes, and I, providing yes. these incredible insights into, into economic research. The way that I always phrase it to my students is that the, my absolute favorite classes that I think are the most intellectually challenging, fun, um, that I, I was excited to go to were like, I was in the honors program. So we took these seminars that mixed like four different professors um, yeah. in different fields. So like there was one on like Texas literature that was like a history professor, an English professor. Um, I think there was, I know, I know there was history in English. I don't remember what the other one was, um, but it was fascinating to hear them kind of go back and forth on it. Um, or like my favorite, my, like the class I teach is economics of crime. It's taking the stuff that sociologists do and criminologists yeah. yep. and economists and po political science. Right, or behavioral economics is right. You're mixing psychology and you're mixing economics together. Like those are the fascinating courses. Uh, so I always get, I, I will say, I, I'm happy to say I get offended mostly because principles of economics is a gen ed course. Um, and so in a little sense, you know, I, I understand the annoyance, right? Like you go to college as a student, you think you want to major in finance. I'm going to pick on finance because it's always, it always seems like it's finance. You want to major in finance, you got to take this stupid econ course. But what I want to like, I sort of want to like shake them and be like, look, you could like so many people change their major. I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but I, I'm fairly confident. It's like a sizable percentage of people change their major. Yeah. At Susquehanna, um, it's about a third. And I'm guessing a third, right? I think I've always heard like a third. Yeah. Um, and I just want to be like, you don't like, I know you want, you think you want to do this at 17 and 18. Yeah. You don't know what you're going to want in three years from now. Um, this could be the class that completely changes your path in life. And you don't know unless you go in with an open mind and think about it and consider it. Well, um, I don't think, thankfully I'm at a place where our finance professors will say like, 
you got to know economics, right? To know finance. So <laughs> we're any, not in the business school. So that, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's the engineers so, I mean, actually those, that are mad. The engineers don't want to take economics. No, well, no, everybody needs econ, but you know, yeah. that's, that's a, that's a so, different conversation, but I think it through. So if students are watching, you know, or listening to, to us, I'd say, be assured, you know, hopefully you're reassured a little bit that at least we both think you're, you've gained can. skills in your four years, right? You should, you shouldn't, be thinking I'm grabbing my diploma and all it is is I spent four years to get a signal. I do think the signal matters though. Embrace so, the fact that you have the signal too. I'm going to ask you two questions that'll lean on the signaling side. Then I'm going to ask you a question on the on the skill okay. building side. Matt, you have canceled class before for a conference or for travel when you taught. I have. What was the you have canceled class before, right? Yes. How, what is the what is the general feeling of the students when you announce that class is canceled? Oh, uh, they... if I could find the clip from Better Off Dead, I'll throw it in there where they're all moaning when the classes canceled. Yeah, they're all moaning, right? They're all just yeah, very no, upset. All, they they, they asked for a refund. They're like, we paid a lot of money. We would like. No, I've never once been asked for a refund for canceling the class. No, Although, as dean, I have heard complaints from students that classes have been canceled too much too, once or twice by professors. Too much, right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. So this, uh, I always like this. I present this as like a signal. Uh, this is where I start to introduce the signaling model to my students as I say, you know, what if I cancel class next Friday? Um, and you could see their eyes light up. They're just like, oh my God, yes, absolutely. And I was like, look, if you went to a movie and they just like shut it off 10 minutes early, you'd be furious. Like you would ask for your money back. You'd say, this is inappropriate. Um, you know, if you ordered, if you ordered a pizza and like one of the slices wasn't there, you wouldn't just be like, this is amazing. But for education, you'll pay tens of thousands of dollars and they'd be like, yes, I don't have to do this. Um, so that's one of them. I, I give that one as an example. Um, and then one is kind of, we already, we actually already talked about it a little bit. Um, would you rather have, and this, maybe this is a good one for you to do next time you teach principals. Would you rather have the Susquehanna education and experience without the degree? Or would you rather just have the Susquehanna, you know, can we just give you a degree, a piece of paper and you never have to do any of this? Which yeah, one yeah. would you rather have? Yeah, I've um, heard that one before. I've definitely heard that one before. And that, that's a tough one, right? I mean, yeah, teachers don't ask that question. It's going to make you feel bad. Yeah, well, because you, I mean, you teach, um, I think in the, my guess is if it, I think the rational person with, in the short run will be better off by just getting the degree in the long run is probably worse. Mm -hmm. That would be my guess on yeah. that, but that's a, that's always a tough question. So I'll give you, we'll go back to the human capital, the skill building one. Matt, you talked about a lot of um, skills that your students learn, things like perseverance, following rules and orders and deadlines. And I know as a good instructor, you have all of those listed as your course learning objectives. <laughs> That's what you want them to learn from your course, not perseverance. This is going to be brutal. And yeah, yeah, no, those not aren't how to graph skills. a line or the hidden skills, right? Understand the hidden skills, right? So this is the thing, right? It's the hidden curriculum. Yeah. We tell them that this is the things that they're going to learn. So actually, I will say I've started to put this on my um, on my syllabus. This is actually one of my course learning objectives in my upper level courses and in my lower level one. It's slightly different. But one of them is I, I tell them that they will um, sharpen their... Uh, use of professional vocabulary, um, that they will get better about talking and writing about economics. Um, I talk about how they will learn to manage uh, different assignment expectation. Like I actually put this as like course learning objectives, but I try to frame it in like a uh, an economic standpoint. Like I, I kind of say things like, you know, you'll learn how to use economic principles to handle different expectations of assignments and things like that. So I, you know, I, I talk them about like diminishing returns, like you can do this assignment as many times as you want, but it doesn't mean you should do it. 
a thousand times. You should figure out where the diminishing returns happen. So I've tried to like weave in the soft skills yeah. actually into my course learning objectives. And then at the end of the semester, I come back and I'm like, do you think you're better at talking about economics? Do you think you're better at recognizing, you know, when you're studying too much or not enough? Uh, things like that. No, very cool. I think, um, we're, I know we've, we've been talking for a little while on this. So before we get to the pop culture, every now and then we talk about research related to things. And this seems like an appropriate time to ask you about your recent article that came out that yeah. talked about the taking pass fail. Ah, yeah. Uh, yeah choosing pass, pass fail during COVID. We brought this yeah. up and we brought up the signal. And so I think, you know, we can just talk about one, but do you want to share yeah. some highlights of your recent paper? Absolutely. Yeah, no, this was really fun. Um, so Steve Trost is actually the person I replaced at Virginia Tech. Uh, so Steve is somebody I've known like Twitter wise, I mean, probably since I started teaching, he's been on Twitter for a very long time. He and he is like a Virginia Tech institution over the past 10 years. Actually, I think he's been here longer than he was here longer than 10 years. But um, he was the large lecture instructor at Virginia Tech. So he taught 500 to 600 students in each class four times over the course of a year. So he was teaching like 2000 students a year. Wow. Um, and he had, so Virginia Tech did the pass fail stuff very different than Penn State. Um, so he, he ended up leaving. He's now at Wisconsin. I came, I replaced him at Virginia Tech. Um, but early on, uh, he had he had worked on this paper and he had posted it on his website and I read it. And I was like, Steve, this is a cool paper. You should submit it. And he just said, basically like, look, I'm, I can't get it submitted. I'm having trouble. Like, I just can't figure out like what's wrong with it. He would get the reviews back and uh, from, so he was submitting it to peer review journals. He was getting the reviewers back and like, they were just kind of all over the place. He would change it. Then they would send it back in and they reject it again. So he was just sort of frustrated with the whole process and he was moving. So he's like, whatever, I'll, I'll leave. And I said, Steve, can I work on it with you? Can I like, let me read it, go through it. Let me play with the data. Let me see what I can do. Um, so I was, we were able to sort of reconfigure it uh, to get it submitted public or accepted. I guess it is now published online. Um, so Virginia, so this, we talked about the pass fail stuff uh, earlier in the episode. So I, I'll tell you the Penn State story. And I don't know if Susquehanna, I don't know which one you did. So you could say how y'all did it. Um, the Penn State version was students went through the entire semester, took every assignment, took the exam, final grades are posted online. And then students could see their final grades and pick and choose which classes yep. were pass fail. Uh, that was not how Virginia Tech did it though. Virginia Tech did it where they go through the whole semester and on the very last day of class, before they take the final exam, they had to pick whether they want to pass fail or get a letter grade in this course. So Virginia Tech made them pick before taking the final exam. And the nice thing about kind of how Steve had his class set up was essentially the final exam was like 30 or 40% of the grade, depending on how you did earlier in the semester. So that means every student has to take the final exam. And realistically, you have to you have to pass the final. Sure, sure. So even if you're picking the pass fail, you're just trying to shoot for a C. If it's 30% of your grade, like you still need to do pretty well on it. You, can't you still just have to study. Yeah, you, you still have to study and turn it in. Um, and so the idea was we wanted to see essentially if there were characteristics of students who opted in for this pass fail um, type setting. And this is actually a really big part of, uh, of education. And, and Madam, I'm surprised we didn't actually mention this. Um, education provides this huge payoff to people on average who get it. And one of the reasons that economists struggle to try to figure out the value of it is because it's not a random selection of who's going to college. Like people are choosing 
to go to college. So we're like, we're not just like, it's not a randomized control trial. Correct. And so that's why we can't tell like whether, whether they're learning stuff, whether it's signaling, cause like maybe they would have learned it anyway. So we wanted to see essentially what characteristics of a student would make them more likely to opt into this pass fail to try to take, I mean, realistically, it's an easier way out. Um, cause once you pick that, you just have to get a C in the course to get credit. Um, so it is a safer option than kind of gambling, trying to do well on the final sure. or get a better grade. Uh, so we were really curious about sort of those outcomes. And what we found largely was, you know, it really depended on the situation. Sometimes engineers were more likely to do it. Um, it depended on like where they were in their progress. So like if you were a first year student or a second year student, way more likely to take pass fail than if you were like a junior and a senior. Um, largely because as a first year or second year student, a single class has a big impact on your GPA. By the time you're a senior, it doesn't matter. A C makes no difference uh, in your GPA. So first year, second year students, much more likely to do it. Um, business majors were more likely to do it. They tend to be more grade sensitive uh, around things. But what we noticed was that there was a really hard, it was weird, really weird, like when we were looking at the data, a hard cutoff at an 81, which is a B minus. Okay. Generally speaking, if a student going into the final exam had a B minus or better, they largely took the letter grade. Very few of them opted for pass okay. fail. So, right, if you think I got a B minus going into it, yep. the final's 30%, I can maybe get an A. They largely took it. 81 and below, it was almost the exact opposite. Nearly everyone picked pass fail. Um, so, you know, there's little things, right? Like if you have a D going into it and it's 30, like you probably, yeah. you definitely want to do it. So what we were really curious about was like, so sort of those like C plus B minus students, was there something sort of interesting about them? And largely what we found was that uh, female students were 15% more likely, if you were in that bottom portion, yep. uh, female students 15% more likely than male students with the exact same characteristic. So what yep. that means is basically, if you had a female student and a male student, and they both had a 79% in the class, and they were both business majors, and they were both first-year student majors, and they had the exact same exam scores and homework scores and clicker score. If they looked identical going into the final exam, the female student was 15% more likely to take the pass-fail option. Hmm. Uh, so we frame it in this sort of risk aversion. There's like this long literature of women, especially in economics, and economics and math-based courses being risk-averse. Um, so it's, there's like all sorts of things about kind of why that happens, um, which is just fascinating. Maybe that's another, another episode. It might be another episode. It's a whole nother episode, but there's like, there's really cool data about things like, um, for a female student who gets an A or an A minus, they're, they're just as likely to major in economics as a male student. Um, but it, like, as soon as they get a B plus, like they drop out, like they're not going to major in economics, but a male student, like it needs to get like a C in order to not consider it. Yeah, so there's all yeah. these sorts of like math behavior, econ behavior, where women and female students just don't gravitate towards um, that sort of risk. Um, we don't talk about why. We don't have any explanation for why they're doing that. Um, but we observe a, an outcome that was really interesting. No, very cool. Very cool. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Since you gave that, I can give the pop culture reference on this okay, if you're good. good with that. So, I mean, yeah. thinking about uh, the idea on... Um, you know, human capital here from Hamilton. Uh, the song My Shot actually has a couple of good examples. And maybe we can even put in a short blip now without okay. having the uh, YouTube or podcast gods hate us. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what we can pull <laughs> we'll off. We'll see what here. it does. But um, for Hamilton talks about going to King's College, which is Col now Columbia. 
Uh, as you know, the phrase was, I've got a lot of brains, but no polish. I don't know if getting polish is considered gaining human capital, but I, I guess I would assume maybe it is, right? You know, gaining the skills to be more polished. But another part of it actually goes to Mulligan, who says uh, he wants to join the rebellion because uh, it's his chance to socially advance. And, you know, I mean, fighting in the military, is that a human capital development? I mean, I guess you're learning to take orders mm -hmm. from a yep. boss. But but some of it's also a signal, right? I mean, you're you're going through um, the person who can go through and do that is also, you know, the person who can go through and do that and perhaps succeed at a future job. So kind of some interesting human capital and signaling aspects in uh, in my shot from Hamilton. I like so, it. No, that's I, I actually can I can give you a quick one, and it's a classic. Go for it. It's the scene from Goodwill Hunting. Uh, I don't know how long how long it's been since you've seen that one, uh, but Matt Damon uh, is a I believe he's a janitor at the university, yes. um, and runs into a college student who tries to confront him at a bar and trying to embarrass him in front of his friends, uh, and then Matt Damon in the episode uh, basically just goes through the process of like explaining all of these like psychological philosophical basically like showing. Yeah, I think him it was a history like, grad student. History, yeah, yeah. Um, and he was just basically like, yeah, I got this all from a public library. Like you, you paid for this. So like, who's the real idiot between the two of us? Uh, so yeah. the, the quote is you spent $150,000 on an education. You could have got for a dollar 50 in late charges at a public library. Great uh, line so, in, a, in a great movie and a great movie. So that's my pop culture one. I, I did have yeah. one for you. Nice. Uh, how was the beer? Uh, it's, it's, uh, it is a non-nitrogen Guinness. It's, it's, okay. it's good. It's good. You're not a summer beer. I've uh, had a little more than you've had of the it's, beer. For those so it's warm outside. So I've been drinking it slow. Drinking it slow. So, well, thank you to everybody for tuning in. Uh, any final words of wisdom for the audience, Jadrian? Ooh, uh, you know, we're, we're not getting as many comments as we would like. Matt and I really like comments um, and we need the gratification. Uh, so please, <laughs> please go to Substack or email us. Uh, tell us your thoughts. Tell us signaling, human capital, Maybe we'll put a poll in the Substack uh, to see if they'll. Yeah, yeah. If we get them to vote. But no, out. thank you, uh, thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, we would appreciate a five star review on your favorite <laughs> podcast app. So we've said before, we're not monetized. So like our currency is people listening. You're mm -hmm. doing that will help get this in front of more people. So we'd really appreciate Absolutely. that. But uh, until next time, Jadrian, cheers. Cheers. <laughs>